following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! My name is Matt Perez, and my name is Satchel Drakes, and this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. And taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Veridesk, Rocket Mortgage, and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey guys, it's Satchel. Um, Matt is actually at GDC, the Game Developers Conference in California, listening to probably the best kinds of TED Talks that I could ever imagine. Um, so we're going to be having a more relaxed conversation with uh, a Dion Anderson, uh, a live gaming broadcast host with over 75,000 followers and 9 million views, a well, well-known content creator, an indie game director, and a documentary producer. I added that. It's worth mentioning. <laughs> oh, um, that, that, thank you. If, thank if that's you. okay, is that is that under wraps? Are we good? <laughs> hey, man, do what you got to do, man. Yeah, it, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, we're just gonna have a couple conversations about like um, what it's sort of like being in the broadcasting space. Um, in the past, on the show for people in podcast land, we've talked about. Um, on-demand content and YouTube stuff, but I haven't really dove too deep into, honestly, a, 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 a substantial crux of esports, which is a topic that comes up often. Um, so for the folks in podcast land, can you talk a little bit about what you do and what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. Um, well, I mean, in terms of broadcasting, I, I just do uh, what I'm known as like a variety broadcaster, so I, I don't really stick to one specific game. I, I do a, you know, wide variety of things, really whatever I feel like doing at the time. Um, there's, there's different kinds of variety broadcasters. A lot of them, uh, oftentimes play whatever the biggest game is at the time, uh, whatever, like the newest big releases. Um, really I'm, I'm, I'm the other half where it's just like, I mean, I have however many things to play. I have a huge backlog and I just play whatever I feel uh, that I want to play at the time or whatever I feel like my viewers want to see at the time. Um, but as for, you know, my, my typical schedule, it's kind of volatile right now considering, um, you know, the different projects I've taken on. So like you said, indie game development is one of them and that's been taking up a lot of my time. But, um, recently I've had a lot more time to stream. So really it is just waking up, eating, and then, Turning on the stream and and then doing that for you know however long I can before uh, you know a lot of my game dev team wakes up and uh, <laughs> I have to move on to doing that. That's wild. So w would you say like in this space it is? I don't know if you were just kind of using a colloquialism like it's about fifty fifty. Like is it more typical for people to just focus on one thing or to kind of have a variety based on you know what the crowd says? Uh, I, yeah, if you're, you know, it kind of, I think it depends on who you're looking at. Cause I mean, it, it's, I think it's the visibility factor of it. Cause I mean, there's, there's so many streamers on Twitch and you have to consider how many of them are maybe sitting under the, you know, 20 viewer ratio and then how many of them are like the really, really big, you know, like the 1%, I suppose you'd say, um, those huge, huge streamers are often the ones who do, um, you know, follow the crowd and, and, and do what's the most popular thing at the time. Um, and then on the other hand of it, uh, you have the not variety broadcasters, you know, the people who are known for playing one specific game, whether or not they're, you know, maybe really good at that game or the professionals like, you know, League of Legends or Dota or Hearthstone, things like that. Um, but a, a lot of the big streamers are typically either known for playing one specific game or playing like the hottest thing out. Okay. You know what? I, I totally get that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense with YouTube. With YouTube, what I'll find, and maybe, let me know if it's the same thing with streaming, uh, a lot of guys will start out 
just doing one thing, and that's where they get their following. They get their following by sort of usurping the fandom around whatever it is. So, like, I think about Jesse Cox, for example. Um, I guess at this point he's like Variety, but his old YouTube screen name was OMF, wait, OMG Kata or whatever, like OMFG Kata, and he would cover like Cataclysm right. stuff with World of Warcraft, and that was his jam. Um, is it does it is it kind of similar with streaming where people might? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's been big long enough to kind of see games popularity expire and them sort of switch into like a variety channel. Um, does is that does it have does it follow kind of a similar rhythm? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I would have a hard time thinking of a creator who didn't have that at one point. And I mean, it varies. It varies from you know severity of it, but. You know, you you look at most of these creators, like you said, with Jesse Cox, he he did a lot of uh, World of Warcraft stuff. Um, you know, I I think of you know some of my favorite uh, creators, like uh, Man vs. Game, he's a huge streamer on Twitch, very entertaining. And I know um, a lot of people looking back w- would would see him and Dark Souls, which is one of his biggest games. Um, and you know, streamers like Ninja, who uh, first started out on H1Z1, and then now he's branched off to things like Fortnite. So th- there is always that one kind of defining game, I think, um, for a lot of streamers. Um, but yeah, no, it, it is very similar in the in the streaming world. That's cool. So, so, dude, like, what's your what's your origin story? Like, did you quit your job and do this? Did you go to school for this? What sort of the situation? How do you sort uh, of land in this situation? So- I mean, how much time do I have? It probably didn't take long. Um, but my origin story is actually pretty interesting. So um, I started this when I was in high school in in 2009. Um, I think it was, you know, grade 11, and I was, you know, 12 is the last year, obviously. And I started it, and it was more of like a fun thing. I know a friend of mine was also doing it, and he's like, man, you should do it. You'd probably be really good at it. Um, so I tried it out. I really enjoyed it, um, and I was doing it, uh, you know, as sort of just a hobby for the first year. Um, now in grade 12, I actually got sick and I couldn't finish high school. And what was happening is, uh, for some reason I felt like really tired every day and I didn't know why, like alarms wouldn't wake me up. Um, you know, I obviously at the time high school, I was living with my parents still and, uh, my parents would leave for work early in the morning, so they couldn't be there to wake me up. Um, and it got so bad, I was missing so many classes that my school thought I was skipping, so they eventually expelled me because um, they were so Goodness. convinced I was just skipping. And I was like, no, I, I'm seriously sick. I don't know what's wrong. Um, so I ended up getting blood tests done, and it turned out I had a thing called Epstein-Barr, which is a form of mono, which like really shuts down the body and makes it extremely tired. Um, so, I mean, that kind of sucked, and I, I'm sure they felt bad because they thought they, they, they were certain I was skipping. But at that right, point, yeah. um, I was already a year into doing what I was doing, and it was really picking up and, and taking off. So I was just like, I mean, well, I know what I want to do in terms of you know careers, and I'm, I've already, I already have a really good thing going. Um, I don't really need to go for college or university to take this kind of career path. So you know, I think I'm just going to stick on what I'm doing now, and that was kind of – what my what you know what kind of led me into that but when i first started out i was doing a lot of um call of duty stuff call of duty was huge back in the day um and you know that's i kind of where i think started my like variety thing on on youtube there that is wild right okay so you you mentioned youtube and i i find it unique what what i find unique about your situation as a streamer is that you also have a history in youtube now and being someone who has that familiarity with the ins and outs of making on-demand content, what are some of the differing demands of broadcasting live versus uploading a video? Like, what's harder, what's easier? I'm really curious to know the difference between the two for you. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously one of the biggest things, uh, what's easier is that you don't have an immediate, um, you don't have an immediate obligation to uh, interact with people uh, when you're doing YouTube. Um, you know, you, you of course want to be entertaining in whatever way you can, but if there's any sort of downtime, it's something you can edit out and post. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, when you're doing, you know, a live, but I, I like to, I like to compare it to say, um, you know, a, a well-produced television show as opposed to something that's a live uh, television broadcast. Um, there's very little room for error. I mean, though it, it's not like a huge professional thing. If I if I mess something up on stream, people aren't going to be like, "Well, I, I'm leaving." It's it's it, you know, I think it's part of the charm, part of the comedy of it. Yeah. Um, oh, it but, is. Every yeah, I mean, stream, the first hour, it's like, you know what? I'm gonna wait. 
Yeah, no, that, that that is totally me too. Like I, I I lose my train of thought, stumble over my words for the first like hour of my stream. It's and you know it's something that people have gotten used to. And people love it, I'm sure. They, you know they often clown me for it, but I think that's part of the fun of it. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's definitely two entirely different worlds, and I I, I love them both. I, I absolutely do because um, one thing on Twitch uh, because I do ultimately prefer doing live broadcasts on Twitch over. Um, you know, content on YouTube or created content, but um, you, you can't quite always get that kind of creativity flowing um, on Twitch the same way you can on YouTube. Um, you know, I, I've seen really well-produced Twitch streams, things like Hyper RPG, where they have an entire studio set um, and they do some really, really cool yeah. live stuff. Yeah. Um, but you can't really get that like really fine-tuned. Um, um, creativity going on Twitch uh, the same way you can on YouTube. That's fair. I, I, I totally resonate with that. I gave it a shot, and it is an incredibly taxing thing. It also requires a lot of broadcast-level, like commercial broadcast-level software <laughs> that's very expensive. Right, right. Um, what, I, what I do like is how accessible they've made it, and it is really interesting to see the community of people that have kind of gathered around making like open source software to get things done, and you know, like whether it's OBS or like other things like that, like fun little macros people put for the world around subscriptions and stuff. Which um, you know, you, I, I assume you've you've been doing this full time, right? Like ever since what two thousand nine. Or it's been a ramp into yeah, like this being uh, your full time. So thing. I actually moved from doing YouTube to Twitch. I think in around well, I, I first um, I first did like my first ever Twitch stream. I think it was in 2011. Um, actually, no, it would have been in 2012. Uh, it was actually a funny story. Um, I didn't even really know much about streaming at all. I just know a couple of my friends on YouTube were doing a charity event. Um, and they were live streaming it. So they said, "Hey, if you don't mind, would you be able to do it too?" And I said, "Yeah, I mean, sure." Um, and I think within my first um, 30 minutes of going live on my first ever stream, um, one of the Twitch staff came in my channel and said, hey, man, uh, you know, P-Bet, I'm, I'm a big fan of your YouTube channel. Do you want Twitch partnership? And I was like, well, I mean, sure. I mean, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what it is, but I mean, yeah, why not? Um, but yeah, no, I, I did originally take the, the, the transition in 2012. Could, could you explain to people what a Twitch partnership is? Oh yeah, no. I mean, so I mean, basically, it's it's the main way to earn income uh, on Twitch. Uh, one of the biggest things is obviously you get a, a couple more features on Twitch. Uh, back then, it was a little different. You know, a lot of the features you have um, through partnership back then are just standard for everybody now, like like you know, transcoding and stuff like that. Um, but you know, you you get to run advertisements on your streams. You get uh, one of the biggest things is you get a sub button which allows. Um, viewers to support you for five dollars every month, um, of which you know the the creator gets a a percentage of, and Twitch gets you know the rest of it. Um, and you know the viewers get things like uh, you know exclusive emotes and 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 new features in that channel. Um, but one of the biggest things is they just get to support that creator every month. Um, you know to do what they enjoy. That's pretty cool. Is um. Is is this sort of system that Twitch has put together for monetization the primary way in which most streamers? I'm assuming you have like a lot of colleagues who kind of do things that you do, or like people that you've met from through through streaming through Twitch. Um, is is that the primary means of of like income that people kind of pull from? Has that been it, or is there do people combine that with Patreon? Is there like other ways that people sort of find ways to like make this their full time situation? The, the the main income for a lot of streamers is um is the monthly subs, but there there is other ways that they can get support uh, through their community. Um, things like donations, um, be that you know through Streamlabs, which is just directly usually through PayPal or credit card, or through uh, Bits, which is Twitch's kind of um, form of donations, where people can get this like kind of Twitch based currency and then donate that to the um, streamer, and then. When they get their paycheck from Twitch, whatever the viewers donated in bits will also be added on um, onto their kind of monthly monthly uh, check. So, um, but yeah, the, the monthly subs are typically the 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 way that most streamers get their their income. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. 
ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies the people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And there's Rocket Mortgage. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. I'm super fascinated with just like how long you've been doing this. So you said, you know... it, you're creeping up on a decade, almost. You're like a couple years shy of a decade. Um, oh, yeah. I'm curious to know how Twitch has sort of, or at least how you see Twitch has changed over the years. Like, how I'm curious to know both how they've changed over the years and how it might be different for someone just starting out, like, today versus when you started. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, honestly, I think it's, uh, I think it, it kind of, isn't really a Twitch specific thing, but I think it's more just the the overall gaming space, like the gaming content creation space. In the same way it is on YouTube, um, the way it's changed for newcomers is the the, the industry is now just super oversaturated, right? Um, uh-huh. So visibility is something that is you know it gets increasingly harder day by day because you know uh, if somebody new comes into the industry, they have to prove you know why does somebody want to watch me instead of watch one of the already you know, thousands of already well-established creators on this platform. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there, there has to be a reason for people to want to find a, and and watch a newcomer's content, which is always going to be harder the longer time goes on. Um, you know, and uh, also, you know, with with the oversaturation, you also have a lot of um, you also have a lot of bad seeds, um, which is which is kind of a shame. Um, you have a lot of people who, you know, maybe do some questionable things on the platform. I know uh, Twitch just, well, not, you know, not recently, but within the past couple of years opened up their IRL streaming platform. So you don't have to just be doing game stuff on Twitch now. You can be doing IRL stuff. You can, you know, just vlog yourself walking, you know, walking down the street or, or whatever you want to. And I know a lot of issues have arisen from that um, with certain streamers who do some questionable things that, you know, invade people's privacy or things like that. Yeah. Or even just like think illegal things, yeah. <laughs> the access- yeah, the no, accessibility has absolutely. done something it, very it, strange. <laughs> yeah, it's worrisome because you know you see a lot of these issues on YouTube um, with certain creators, you know, like Logan Paul. You know, there was a huge you know issue with that stuff. Yeah. Um, and now Logan Paul announces that he made a Twitch account and he's going to be streaming on Twitch, and a lot of people aren't happy about it. Um, where you know one half of people are like. Twitch, don't let him stream on the platform. He's going to do something crazy, and then, you know, the the mainstream media is going to see it, and they're going to say, oh, Twitch is a terrible website, and it's going to give us a bad rep. But on the other half of things, um, a lot of, you know, big streamers are saying, well, he's just bringing in new, a new audience to Twitch. And, you know, surely not all of them are bad, and this could only mean good things for a lot of you because it's, it's more users that can potentially access your content. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, I think, an, an upside and a downside to both things. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That's uh, there's definitely a very weird spectrum that's all kind of on the line in between good and bad with that. Um, yeah. I, so for people who don't know, there's what I'm gonna call I'm gonna call it a famous video. 
Uh, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm gonna call the famous video. I'm gonna call it Godlike of of Dion's, okay. where he's playing League of Legends, and there's a troll in chat who's like trying you, right? You know, he's being extra. He's being obnoxious. To which, <laughs> right, to which yeah. you say, explain to me why these dudes think they can come into my League of Legends rank matches and troll me. Like I don't got hitters at Riot Games. Meanwhile, yeah. You're on this landline phone with this guy named Dan from Riot Games. You pass on the username, giving trouble, and he's instantly banned. So, I'm curious to know, how did you, so to speak, get hitters at Riot Games? How did your career lead there? Okay, um, (laughs) so there's, there's a really interesting story, and then there's, like, the break the illusion story. I don't know which one you want. <laughs> Give me the interesting story. I need this, this image in my mind. I want to I keep it as grandiose as possible. Okay, no, so uh, it's actually um, one cool thing that happened, uh, I think it was uh, January of last year. Um, well, rather, it actually started in December of last year. I got an email from somebody at Riot Games who um, apparently had been watching a lot of my uh, content since YouTube, so even since before I started streaming, um, and he said, "Hey man, we, you know we've we've you know we we've been a fan of your content um, for a while, and this is back when um, Riot had their I think weekly uh, you know community showcase uh, show on YouTube, um, and they said you know would you would you would you want to be a part of it? Would we you know we we showcase a new creator every week, and you know we want you to be on this week, um, and that was when uh, Jimmy Wong and Jessica Negri." Uh, hosted that show and then they're both fantastic people um but they actually uh you know sh- uh, showcased me on the show and then um i think a couple weeks later they also said hey we're maybe potentially thinking of launching some new uh content on the channel and we want to fly a couple creators out to our studio um uh to you know kind of audition and, and try out for these new these new shows yeah um and i was one of those creators that is cool um what so a cool yeah opportunity. yeah in yeah. The january they they flew me out they you know they you know paid for the hotel and everything and they were just super super nice people and their office is one of the most magical places i've ever been in my life i believe it um and yeah i met a lot of people there you know the ceo's like hey you know you're you're the greatest and, and this and that and that's how i got hitters to riot games <laughs> you know very, very fun very fun time very fun time <laughs> See, i was like yo dion we got hitters for you i'm just saying Here's Dan. Here's yeah, Dan. Man. Here's he Dan's said, If anybody ever tests you, man, you <laughs> give me a call. And I said, yes, sir. I understand. <laughs> I love it, dude. That's so great. Um, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and in the show notes uh, put a link to that for people in podcast land so they can watch that. Um, <laughs> oh, um, so I remember a while to jump back to Twitch um, really quickly. I remember a while back uh, Twitch getting some minor backlash on Twitter. Um, regarding their new campaign of commercials that emphasize the power of community and the spectrum of broadcasters out there, um, but without highlighting any sort of non-Caucasian streamers, which for me was a small bummer because I really enjoy the kind of spectrum of voices and cultures you get to see all over the world, since, after all, it's kind of like an international streaming service recently purchased by Amazon, right? So there's been a lot of eyes, a lot of accountability. Um, there might not be anything to note at all. You know what I mean? Because um, I've, in many ways, I've gotten this question before, and there might not, there's, there really isn't too much to say. Uh, but is there anything you feel to be said about uh, what it's been like in the space for you, or even what coverage and opportunities have been like? Um, well, they've been good. I mean, really, they they they've been fantastic. A lot of the um, really cool things I've gotten to do within the industry have have came um, from Twitch. Um, you know, be that. You know, companies flying me out to things like PAX, um, to, you know, to do stuff with their game or, um, you know, j- just I guess the people you meet as well is one of the biggest things because it's it's really a um, a lot of times it's really a who, you know, situation that gets you into a lot of these opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, honestly, it has been fantastic. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you, though, um, in terms of um visibility of um like you said non-caucasian uh content creators um it, it, it's something that they've actively been trying to improve you know they, they did a really great thing for um black history month where they focus uh they focused a lot of effort onto um black creators um and they're doing a very similar thing with women's history month which is which is also fantastic that that that's really cool now final question how do you in general feel 
um, that the world of streaming could be, it's it's a two parter. Like, how do you feel the world of streaming could be better? And then, what's been most exciting about it right now? Uh, how could it be better? Um, well, how it could be better, um, I think, is just a bit more of a stricter moderation um, and, and stricter enforcement on Twitch's part. And I know that's not easy because, like I said, thousands of streamers every day. You know, it, it's hard to keep everything in check. But you know, th- there has been a notable issue of toxicity in a lot of these things um especially live broadcasts you notice it a lot more on twitch than you do on youtube they're you know one of the most um common examples is you uh let's say we're watching a uh, live esports match of of league of legends yeah um say there is a um a african-american player who comes on stream um you know, oftentimes uh, a lot of the chat will spam uh, tryhard, which is uh, an emote that um, it's it's a it's the face of uh, streamer on Twitch Trihex, who is a black creator. Um, oh my! And God. obviously, when people spam this, they're doing it in a very malicious intent. You 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 just know that that's like the trend, right? Um, but it, it's a very hive mind thing, which is one of the biggest issues with me. Is that you know people think because of the anonymity they can do it, and they see a bunch of other people doing it, so they chime in and they do it as well because they right. think, well, if they're all doing it, I, there's no way I can get punished. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think I think Twitch really needs to kind of step in and make an example of of some of these people um, because I think if if some of these people are made an example of, it'll really cut down on the other people who would you know potentially want to risk you know, doing that for the sake of just the joke, right? I don't know, you can't possibly moderate every single stream on Twitch, but when it right. comes to these big events, you know, would it really hurt to have maybe one, you know, global moderator or one staff member keeping an eye on these massive events? Because it really does look bad for us. I know um, there was one instance, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact details of it, but I know it was um, a Blizzard game. I think it was Hearthstone. They were They were streaming a tournament. And one of their black players came on stream and a bunch of just racial nonsense was being flooded into chat. Yeah. And Blizzard was actually so upset by it that Blizzard went directly to Twitch and they said if anything ever happens like that at one of their broadcast tournaments again, they will no longer stream their tournaments on Twitch. That's great. Um, so Blizzard took that extremely seriously and I'm, I'm really glad to see stuff like that and, and, and companies – really go out of their way to to put their foot down. Um, it reminds me a lot of um, when Campo Santo, Firewatch, um, demonetized PewDiePie's videos um, on Firewatch. Oh, when he said um, the N-word, right? Because of some racial slurs that he Sean, Yeah, Sean Veneman was very overt about it. And I was like, that's just, if anything, I mean, that on its own is really great. But the fact that you went out of your way to like publicly explain why you were doing what you did, it just helps set an example. It helps like let people know the rhythm of how things like this should be treated. You know what I mean? Like what can and cannot be tolerated. Absolutely. And and a lot of, a lot of PewDiePie's fans got really upset at it because they're like, well, he didn't do it on the firewatch video. You know, why are you punishing him for something he did entirely separately? But, you know, like you said, it's making an example of somebody It's saying that we do not support anyone who goes out of their way to, to, to make these kind of comments, no matter what form they're doing it in. Yeah. Completely agree with that. Also, side note, love the Campo Santo guys. They're like on top of their stuff. I've heard they're I've heard they're amazing. Yeah. There's you know Yeah, it, it, it feels like, especially right now, it, it just feels like uh in the game development space, in the game coverage space, um I feel like we've been saying this for five years, but five years is barely enough for it to to change to to, to uh to feel any different, but it just still feels like a wild west in the way that we treat each other and in the way that we sort of moderate things. It's almost like we're still building a lexicon of what's socially acceptable and not. And it feels like now more than ever, like companies and brands need to be putting their foot down and kind of using the megaphone on things that are just utterly unacceptable. Um, second part of the question is um, like, what do you feel is most exciting like right now about this space and and what you do well i'd say what's most exciting is that a lot of companies are starting to see how serious twitch is um a lot of the time you know you it would be super easy back in the day and even now to get offers um from from companies to maybe do some sort of partnership programs with them um if you were doing content on youtube because that's already a very well established platform um, while Twitch is 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 blowing up, still 
it, it was never still quite as established as YouTube was. So, you know, I'd still get emails to this day, even though I haven't really done YouTube in a while. I'd still get emails to this day saying like, hey, we love your YouTube content. Would you want to do YouTube sponsored stuff? And I'd say, well, I'm doing Twitch now. Would you want to do Twitch sponsored stuff? And they're saying, well, uh, it's not really on our docket right uh, now. Yeah. So clearly a lot of companies aren't really taking that seriously and, and they don't really quite understand the power of Twitch. Um but a lot more companies now are starting to take that seriously, and I'm sure you've seen it because it's been all over the news. Um, Ninja, who, by the way, amazing streamer, um, just streamed with Drake on Twitch. Oh, my gosh, uh, He was playing yeah. Fortnite with Drake. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, he was playing Fortnite with Drake, Travis Scott, and Juju, and that absolutely blew the platform up. I think he was the highest viewed um, – he broke the record for highest viewed single streamer ever, which at, like, over 600,000 concurrent viewers. Um at this point, the guy has um, – I was actually watching him last night. Um, I think he just broke 220,000 uh, subscribers uh, on Twitch, which is insane. The dude is making almost $1 million a month on Twitch, which is Whew. just mind-blowing. <laughs> skibbity bibbity hubbity it, It's That's wild. crazy. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, companies are seeing this now, and they're being like, well, maybe it is legitimate. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, we can't, yeah. There, maybe oh there gosh, is some money to be wild. made here. <laughs> oh well, Dion, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for answering these questions. This was a great conversation. I've just been, I've been personally so enamored with, um, with with like the advent of streaming and how it's sort of been growing. And um, you know, obviously we, um, we got we got to meet in person recently, and I had like an amazing time. And and really just getting to get a better understanding of like what that world looks like from like on demand content land. Um, so thanks so much for giving us a, a much, a much uh, more detailed look at what your day to day looks like. Hey, absolutely buddy. Anytime. All right. Uh, is there anything that you're currently working on right now that you'd like to share? Ah, uh, well, I, I mean, we, we're we're still hard at work with this with this indie game we're making, and we're really hoping people are going to enjoy it once we announce that, and we're hoping to announce it within the next couple months. But that has been uh, that has been the blood, sweat, and tears for the past, I think, year and a half. So um, we're hoping that once we do announce it, people will really enjoy what we've been working on. That's great. All right, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Take care. And coming up, Eric and Paul talk about their first impressions of Far Cry Five. But first, a quick break. Traditional, static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veradesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veradesk Active Workspace solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, stable at any height, and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veradesk products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veradesk products, including the new ProDesk 60 electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veridesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I desk.com slash Forbes. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stocking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hi, I'm Eric Kane. I'm Paul Tassi, and today we're going to be talking about Far Cry 5, uh, the new Ubisoft game that just came out, or yeah, just came out by the time you should be listening to this, and we're recording this in the past, so we're playing our, our early review copies, um, but embargo should be lifted by the time you hear this, so we're, we're good to go. And, <laughs> yeah, it works out this time. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, anyway. But um, yeah. yeah, so we've both been playing a little bit. I think I've gotten a little further than you, Eric, but uh, what, what are you yeah. making of it in this in- intro part here? Well, it's interesting. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the game starts out with kind of a linear opening segment and then a smaller tutorial like island where you 
clear a couple little bases and climb one radio tower where the um, guy on the other end of your walkie talkie makes a pretty funny joke about not having to climb anymore. That was really funny. <laughs> uh, I really liked that. He's like, don't worry, I'm not going to make you go all around the county climbing these radio towers. So I thought that was a pretty uh, great, great self-referential thing because uh, – in, in all the – well, in the past couple Far Cries, that's – you do a lot of radio tower climbing and, and it looks like you won't be doing that in this one. Yeah, there's, so that's, there's, that's no, nice. there's no map revelation like really of any kind. You, It's like Skyrim essentially where you just kind of see points on the map and go explore there um, and that's just yeah. kind of how it's revealed. So it's – I think that's a better philosophy because I think everyone's just tired of like the quote-unquote Ubisoft game, <laughs> you know, climb the towers and unlock the map thing. And like, even though Assassin's Creed is still doing that to a certain extent, um, I, I think they're they're kind of getting away from that more generally. Yeah, I, I think that well, we certainly saw with Assassin's Creed Origins just a, a lot of changes across the board for sort of the formula that they'd been using relatively successfully for the past few years. Uh, and same and same here in, in Far Cry Five. There's, I mean, there's other little changes I've noticed right off the bat. Like the health system is is different from the past couple games. Yeah. Uh, as, as far it's just like a, a, a gauge, a life gauge now, rather than segmented into different sections. Is that? Yeah, and I I think it can fully recharge just through hiding. Like you can use med kits to like if you're really about to die in a moment to like get it all the way back up, but. Generally yeah. speaking, they're kind of back to the like hide and recharge your health thing, which I don't mind. And like, I don't really miss the segment thing. Um, yeah, I never minded the Far Cry health system because it always recharged up to a point, and then you'd have to heal to get you know the next one filled. Right. That was better than a system where you have to like in Wolfenstein, where you're always picking up health packs, or yeah. you know, like I don't like to constantly have to be doing the med kit thing. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind this system. Uh, um, one big change I've noticed, all. I don't know, I don't think you've gotten this far yet, but once you finally start unlocking skill points, um, the entire kind of economy, both in terms of like your ammo capacity and like all your skills and stuff is tied almost completely into just challenges and missions where you get a long list of challenges, like kill, you know, 10 people with a shotgun and that'll give you two skill points and then kill 50 people with a shotgun and, you know, another three but they do this for huh. like everything. So like there's like proximity mine kills or like bears skinned or, you know, fish caught or people run out. Like it's, it's those kind of metrics you see in almost every game, except these are explicitly tied to like skill points and how you level up. So what it does <laughs> is it takes away the kind of like, oh, you have to hunt five buffalo to craft your <laughs> arrow quiver or something. Like, increased arrow quiver is just, like, a skill now for, like, nine points. Um, or, like, increased okay. ammunition. That's interesting. And so everything is tied to these kind of achievements. And I think you just get some random skill points through missions, and you also f uh, find skill points in the world, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, like, these kind of hidden, uh, they call them prepper, <laughs> like, doomsday prepper caches that you have to, like, solve a little puzzle to unlock. Yeah. And I kind of like it because what it does is it forces you to mix up your gameplay where, like, yeah, the assault rifle is good and you're probably just going to use it to kill most things. But if you really want, you know, these other points, you're like, oh, well, I better start using a flamethrower or something in one of my slots just so, you know, I can start getting kills with that. And it really kind of forces you to experience the full breadth of the game both in terms of activities, but also in terms of the, the weapons you're using. So that's been kind of an interesting system. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. It's interesting that they would move away from the hunting and skinning and crafting model. Um, since It that... is still hunting. It's just not – it was like half the game in the past <laughs> yeah. Far Cries where there, there is still hunting, and I think you still have a, achievements and stuff based on that. But it's not so, so tied into the game where it's kind of all-consuming. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did notice finding, I think, a skill point in that first prepper uh, bunker thing that you you get really early on, but I hadn't. I, yeah, I haven't gotten far enough uh, into the game to really have dove into the progression system or anything. Um, it takes you a while to start really like getting any significant amount of skill points, but once you start and once you kind of understand the challenge system, you can get. You can rack up a ton really fast because a lot of the early challenges are like do one thing and you yeah. get like two or three points. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are you? What are your feelings of, of the game overall so far? A few hours um, in. I will say I, I like it. I, I do like it. Um, I it doesn't seem like as much of a leap forward, like kind of despite these changes, as Assassin's Creed Origins was to past Assassin's Creed games. Um, I think the changes that have been made are good. It just doesn't. 
really seem like it's reinventing the wheel too much. I mean, you're still still Far Cry, still plays the same, controls the same, taking over outposts, fighting the one dude who always shows up in cutscenes. Like it's <laughs> yeah. you take, taking the Fuck. land back, and it 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 channels uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands quite a bit, um, where you have to take down kind of the lieutenant in each region to get to the main boss. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a smaller scale version of that. And like the more it's a little also kind of like just cause or like the more chaos you, you cause in that region, like it upsets that Lieutenant more. And then you kind of force a confrontation with them. Sort of like um, a shadow of war or shadow of Mordor also. You have to, yeah, I'd say it's like a less, that. less complex version of that. Yeah. But yeah. And it's, yeah, I'm, I'm having a good time with it. And one thing I will say is I do find it, people were kind of worried about the tone and like it was going to be too goofy mixed with like too serious. I think the tone is kind of more consistent than the trailers would have you believe. It's just to me the the whole vibe of the cult and everything like it's creepy, but like this is getting the political aspect of it a bit. And it's just it's such a weird kind of experiment in like creating a villainous group. Like I, I don't know what was your first impression of, of the cult when you kind of arrived? Yeah, I mean, so you you dive right into the cult basically. You know, you're you're on a the opening mission is uh, you're with the sheriff and a U.S. marshal and a couple deputies, and you're flying in a helicopter into the uh, heart of the cult uh, in uh, which is Eden's Gate um, in Hope County, Montana. This whole fictional area of Montana, and um, it, it's it's kind of hard to get. I, I'm still a, wrapping my brain around it, I guess, because on the one hand, like it's kind of preposterous like, that this is even happening in modern day Montana. Like the logistics of taking over a whole County is kind of is like, there's no cell service in this Valley. Yeah. <laughs> like, they cut I feel like it, line, so. it, it might've worked better if they'd set this in like the seventies or something where they're, where if you cut the phone lines and, you know, scrambled the radios or whatever, you really wouldn't have any communication, but it's, it seems pretty unlikely to have no cell service and no, sort of outside world being able to easily get in and out. Um, so that, so there is this sort of, you have to really sort of chug down your, your disbelief. Uh, and, but once you do, once you sort of accept, okay, this is far cry and it's always a little preposterous and you just kind of accept the fact, then it's, yeah, I, then, I then it's it more preposterous than some of the other ones. Like that's not well, really sure. the issue I have with it. I guess what, what struck me is that, okay, the premise of this is like a gun toting kind of, Bible thumping Christian based adjacent cult has taken over a town and you're like, wow, that's like really, you know, politically relevant in this, this kind of landscape. But like, it isn't like in, in practice, at least so far, you know, when I'm, I'm almost through the first lieutenant in like five or six hours here, but like it all, like the bad guys are just this like kind of weird, like crypto speak where like they're using like religious terms and like, Oh, you must atone for your sins and like confess and like, you haven't seen the light and blah, blah, blah. But like, they're not, they're, they, this isn't about anything actually political, like not even close. Like there's, yeah, they've made it very, very clear that there are all different races as a part of this cult, which you would not <laughs> normally imagine would be the case in, you know, rural Montana. Um, right. And past that, like this could be a commentary on like, Oh, well, there's, you know, too much access to guns that like a militia could, you know, exists like this and take over, but there's, there's no real exploration of that issue. And there's not really an explanation, uh, an exploration of the religious aspect either. Like they're using like vaguely Christian terms and like they're in these kind of, at least formerly Christian churches, but like they, they'll talk about God, but like they'll never mention Jesus. They never quote the Bible directly. Like the good mm-hmm. guys quote the Bible, uh, the, like the good, uh, the good preacher you work with. But so the, they're just kind of like loosely basing this cult off of like some themes of the Bible. But there's it, this isn't like really the, from what I've seen, any sort of commentary on, you know, organized religion or like the religious right in the U.S. or anything. And I, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, it's it seems very much like at the on the one hand, they're they're creating a cult that is evocative of some doomsday cults that we've seen in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um but once you, yeah, the, the iconography, the, um, the, you know, the preaching of the father, all this stuff, it, it really isn't very specific. It's pretty vague. And yeah, mixed, mixed race cult, like 
Montana cult with this very redneck cult is kind of is kind of weird. I think they're playing it safe, honestly. I think they're 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 really avoiding like, stirring up any sort of like if you're gonna play it this safe, why even bother setting it here? It's just it's just very strange. Like it's not bad. It's just very unusual to have so much like currently kind of all these hot topics like in one game, but then it's just taking just no position. Like cults are bad. Like murderous. Yeah. Cults are bad. It, and so like what it actually feels like, it's it's essentially like Charles Manson meets Scientology, essentially, which is our two enemies that everyone can, you know, rally against <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And it's I don't know, like I, I can see it getting really messy if they did try and pick one political side or another. But I think that would have been a much, much more interesting game than what we're seeing here. Like it is it is a little bizarre that there is like no racial component of this at all like nothing Mm -hmm. about guns religion like it's just like oh it's just this cult that exists in a rural part of the u.s that has nothing to do with anything actually going on in the u.s right now it just it strikes me as that yeah i think it's the trick so like in the video game industry community whatever everything is like just a tinderbox waiting to go off you know like I think a lot of developers and publishers are, unlike the film industry, they're very resistant to sort of taking any sort of political side. Or and and then you see things like you know Call of Duty World War II, where you can just pick your race or sex and customize your character however you want, even if you're on the Nazi side. So you can be a, a black female Nazi, you know. And that 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 was weird, but it was kind of like this. Okay, we're not going to take a position. We're not going to take a side on anything. We're just going to have this game that you can play with play however you want with any customization you want. Just, we don't want to, and of course that itself was controversial. Taking a side of like, we're being inclusive. Like that is, that is a side in and of itself, which I think is, that's kind of what side. It was a little confusing, but that's at least a stance. Whereas this is like, I I don't know, like both the heroes and villains are kind of these, you know, down home rednecks, but everyone's a different race. Like I, I just did a mission where there's a pilot and you know, his wife is pregnant. You hear him like yelling at him in this like deep Southern kind of, you know, the hillbilly accent. And then you finally meet the wife, which is not a Montana accent, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I know. Everyone sounds Southern, but like, that's not really how people in Montana That's sound. I'm so I'm from Montana. Like I come oh, from really? Montana. That's where I was born. That's where I lived for the first part of my life. My voice is a Montana accent. What would you hear right that's now? So, uh, so yeah, I, I guess uh, they're just they, that no one knows that, but like, no, but then I like, you know, I finally, see this woman and then she's like an Asian woman. I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. Like I didn't, you know, that's cool. But it's, (laughs) it's just very odd. And like, there's, you know, you have these, this, this centrally kind of white hipster family. And then they have, they're flanked by these, you know, giant black bodyguards that are also in the cults. And it's just, it's, it feels so weird. And I, I guess I understand why they did it. Although like taking, if they did just take a like stand and be like, yes, our villains are white supremacists. Like, would that really have been <laughs> that? Well, I think it would have been, I think it would have been better for sure. See, for one thing. Okay. Like having grown up in Montana and visiting there once in a while still, uh, you know, you get into the, I mean, the, the biggest city in Montana is like a little over a hundred thousand people. So that's not a very big city. And in the cities, especially the college towns like Missoula or Bozeman, you're going to get a little bit of diversity. You know, you'll have some you'll have some black people, some Asian people, and whatnot. In the rest of the state, it's very white or Native American. I don't think I've like, seen any. Native there's not American a lot of characters in this that I could tell so far. Yeah, yeah. There's much more likely that you'll see. You know, we were up there a couple of years ago, and we went to a water park, um, kind of near, kind of near a. Uh, Glacier National Park and we went, it's like a water slide park and there were white people and there were maybe like a few Asian people that were pretty obviously tourists. And then there was a bunch of Native American people from a nearby tribe. So that's, that's kind of the racial, like if you're going to go to Montana, you're going to go around, you know, the country, you're going to see tourists. Of course, there's lots of tourists. And then you're going to see a lot of white, mostly white people in Montana. That's what I would imagine. Um, yes. And yes, <laughs> Yeah, some of them will have a little bit more of that rural country accent, just like you get that anywhere where there's a lot of rural people, but it's not a thick southern accent by any means. Um, and it's just so, – so this Montana, it looks like Montana. I mean it's a beautiful game yeah, from what I've is. played so far. On a PS4 Pro on an, uh, with HDR and all that, it's absolutely – it's gorgeous. Um, 
the faces look great. The, the, uh, that opening scene where the, the father, John Seed, is like staring at you in the helicopter. That's he's seriously creepy looking in that in that moment. But um, but yeah, having like this cult. If there were a you know a, a cult out in rural Montana, which I'm sure there, there are, they would be like all white people. I mean, if you go to Idaho, just next door, you've got. That's like the home of the Aryan nation and stuff. So there's a lot of white supremacist groups. Would it have been controversial? I mean, to some people, sure, but not really. I mean, honestly, ever that's that we've seen that we've seen white supremacist groups. They exist. Like we've seen doomsday cults with a racial bent. Before. Yeah, like I get. Okay, so, maybe you don't want to take on like Christianity or something in your game, which sure. you know has its own set of issues, pros and cons there. But like white supremacy seems like a pretty kind of safe target relatively and like yeah it would have been controversial but you know we have a game like wolfenstein where their freaking whole ad campaign was based on you know yeah, punching Nazis. Nazis. and i don't know it doesn't well, sink the game yeah. i guess one of my other biggest problems that i've seen so far is that i just wish like i wish the cult had a more clear like message and was like about something and they they mostly are just talking in in like pseudo religious nonsense. Like I don't understand really anything that they're actually trying to do other than like, you know, prepare for the apocalypse or whatever. And yeah, like they're just spouting all these crazy things to the point where it's like, I almost don't even care about them. Cause like nothing really makes sense. And like, I'm just trying to save my like kidnapped friends and that's pretty much it. And <laughs> it's, I don't know, maybe in, yeah. you know, there's even some, they have like their own drug they make called bliss. And I'm like, Oh, this could be like some opioid crisis kind of stuff. That is actually a huge problem <laughs> in areas like this. But it, again, yeah. another issue. I don't, I don't think they're actually <laughs> diving into, I, I don't know. It's, I guess I won't dock too many points from it, from that. It's just kind of a strange villain group that i haven't really come across before because before it's been pretty straightforward it's like oh drug dealers or warlords or, or something but this is something mm -hmm. that's definitely unusual but the game itself is is really enjoyable to me so far and um i've, I've really liked playing it a lot it's just been a strange kind of <laughs> issue to kind of deal with this cult like i don't know i guess still have probably like three quarters of the game left so i can't can't say too much but <laughs> right and the, things could we could learn more and and there's yeah, there's a lot of room left to sort of explore this, but I think I'm, I'm with. And this has been the problem since we saw when we first started seeing trailers and learning more about this group is that it's like, okay, what what exactly is this group like? So there's a lot of sort of I think there's just a lot of plausibility issues, and and I think that yes, that is partly uh, Ubisoft playing it safe. And I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that game makers should play it so safe. I think that they should be okay with being a little controversial and with making statements about, you know, what is good and what is right and what is wrong and what is bad, you know? It, it may not help that Ubisoft is like a European company and like maybe that right. makes them want to play it safe more because <laughs> they're not entirely sure how things will be received in the States. But I, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird to like, pick this setting in this group and then just not really have anything to say at all, which is what you, people kind of assumed would happen, but it is, it yeah. is strange to see it in practice. I'll, I'll say that. It's interesting too. The other, the other part of me is like, well, okay, it, you know, this is, this all just doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense for where it's taking place and everything. And then I think, okay, well, you know, the first, the, the last two games, you know, three, Far Cry three, Far Cry four, we have, you know, the problems aren't that different, really. Like they're, they're they're exotic locations, but they're just sort of fictional versions of what these these places could be like. You know, the Himalayas or uh, an island, a uh, drug island, and you know, it's we're 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 it's so it's a little more closer to home now, so it, it sort of jumps out at us more, I think. But those places. Well, were, keep in mind, were, keep in mind, Far Cry Three ran into the whole kind of white savior issue, yes. where you were like the white tourist guy who landed on the island to save all the natives. So I, that may have kind of <laughs> scared Ubisoft off because I think Far Cry Four, you were a native character returning to so it was it Thailand, like to to help your people. So you they kind of fixed it with that, and then now you can just choose your race <laughs> uh -huh. um, at the beginning of Far Cry, and. It, somewhere in the middle because both sides there's all races on, on both sides so they're kind of just ducking the issue entirely which which is interesting yeah it is i i, I don't know how to, I, I guess i'm still just gonna have to make up my mind as i play because i i picked i did kind of like choosing my character because i picked a guy that did look kind of native to me 
Um, and I gave him a big old mullet and I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> See, I, I, I picked the black guy because I thought maybe I just will pretend like they're white supremacists no matter what this yeah. game is telling me. And this feels like a better narrative. Yeah, I kind <laughs> of felt I'm, the same I'm way. the hero trium- triumphing against the white supremacists. I mean, most of the bad guys, I would say, are white. Like as, um, that's one that's one gameplay issue I've kind of run into where like in the cutscenes they're pretty diverse, but then when you're fighting them, it's it seems like the same guy just over and over uh-huh. again, like the same beard, the same long hair, kind of look like you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking that. I was like, why do all the bad guys look so yeah. like rat like shaggy? Like this is me right uh, here as, as a Montana. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> Except for I'm a lot blonder <laughs> than them. They're all really dark haired. Yeah, like, I get why they kind of do that because like they want like the different enemy types to kind of look the same so you can distinguish mm-hmm. them from one another but then it is weird when you're fighting like, the base enemy guy and it's all just long long dark hair guy in white shirt <laughs> yeah would you say that yeah. that's similar though to to other games like where where enemies do all kind of look the same i mean are we seeing it more because they're sort of distinct looking like like I'm i guess it's to... different when everyone's just a soldier and you expect yeah, them to they're be all uniform. uniform whereas yeah. this is kind of like a hodgepodge of random militia people so you may you might expect them to look a little different i think far cry has has kind of had an issue with this before in the past but i will say um the townsfolk like the people you talk to are are pretty varied which i've I've found cool yeah and i I like the world building i like i like a lot of things that are going on i and and again this is this is not a a review podcast by any means this is like a first impressions podcast so you know we could in a week you know, next week by the time we've played through the game and played around with the art, the, the cool um, arcade thing where you can make maps and play other people's maps. I mean, there's going to be a lot of other stuff that we have that we haven't experienced yet. So this is this will this will change as we go. But um, certainly from a story sort of thematic point of view, it is a little weird. From a gameplay point of view, I, I do I enjoy it. But I, I li- I've enjoyed the last two also. I, I mean, I think that in, a, in a lot of ways, I like the formula of like a big open world where you take over bases and you, you know, there's crazy wildlife and you have a lot of sort of freedom to uh, to operate how you want. I like that's just enjoyable. You yeah, know? and I think they've changed enough. Where my biggest problem with the last two Far Cry's, Primal and Four, were that they both just felt like reskins of three, and to the point where. I think for, I think Far Cry Primal used Far Cry 4's map and this layered new <laughs> assets on top of it, which was crazy. Yeah. But th- this game does feel, I guess, distinctive from the last three. Like maybe not as distinctive as Assassin's Creed Origins felt from those past games, but enough where I'm not like, oh, more Far Cry. This is exhausting. Like I actually want to play it, and it's been long enough where I'm, I'm excited to play the series again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is. I mean, you're in such a different setting. The the sort of you know, we, we went from Jungle Island to mountainous Himalayas with exotic animals and sort of a, a fairy tale world where you that you go into to like a you know a mountainous American forest, and that's it. It does feel a lot different, which is nice, and it just looks great. I mean, the graphics are phenomenal. It really yeah, on a PS4 really Pro, are. it's just beautiful. To see, I mean, like the fog that in the beginning, uh, it just the the water, the trees. The, I love I love how it, when you're when you're moving through like a field of flowers. You don't just sort of pass through the pixels, the flowers, the stalks bend as you pass. Yeah. That's a great little detail, you know? Yeah. There's so, a lot of little, little things like that. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out more as we play and, uh, you know, maybe we'll do a follow-up podcast once we're, well, you, once you'll we're done have with probably this. your full review up by the time this is, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully I'll, if everything goes okay, I should have my review up by the time this podcast is up. So, yeah. and other things we'll probably have like, you know, five or six different posts about this game. <laughs> So, um, all right. Well, thanks for listening. See you guys later. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast one. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. 
and a less than perfect one. <laughs> Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.